0: Our topic this Saturday morning is all about Alzheimer's. My guest is Lynn Maloney Cabrera, the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association's Montana Chapter. Lynn has a very personal story to share about dementia, especially frontotemporal dementia. And together we'll discuss statistics, treatments, possible causes and nutritional deficiencies linked to this devastating disorder. It's Gesundheit with Jacobus.
1: to Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus
0: Hollowine. Well, good morning, everybody. What a beautiful day when we look outside and we actually see sunshine again after a few days of rain and thunderstorms and hail and probably some damage in the gardens. In my case, yes, there was definitely some damage and uh, some of my hostas are damaged right now. So good morning to you. It's very nice to be with you today. The topic is primarily Alzheimer's. With me here in the studio is Jeremy Glover. And we're going to talk about Jeremy in just a moment. On the phone with me is Lynn Maloney Cabrera. She's the executive director of the Montana chapter on the the Alzheimer's Association. As we talk about health healing and healthy lifestyles, folks, we are not here to diagnose or treat or cure this has always been a show about sharing education information and hopefully bring a little entertainment and it is D- june apparently is the national alzheimer's and brain health awareness month and let me tell you a little bit about lynn uh, lynn maloney cabrera is the executive director of the alzheimer's association's montana chapter a montana native lynn prepared for a career as a journalist at the university of montana she then immediately began in the nonprofit sector, and there she's remained these last 30 years, first in women's health care, then in service to people with disabilities, and for the last 12 years advancing the mission of the Alzheimer's Association, both in Orange County, California, and here at home. From Bozeman to Weibo, Lynn and her small staff of four are working to increase awareness and support for the growing number of Montanans, dealing with Alzheimer's and related dementias. Key collaborators on the very first first ever Montana Alzheimer's State Plan, the staff and volunteers of the Alzheimer's Association are focused on creating dementia capability in communities across the state. The Alzheimer's Association Montana Chapter is located in Billings at 3010 11th Avenue North. The telephone number there is 252-3053, 252-3053, and then you go to extension 8125, 8125. You can also go to the web by going to alz.org forward slash Montana. Lynn, it's a great pleasure to have you back on the program. Good morning to you. Good
2: morning, Jacobus. It's a great pleasure to be
0: here. Yeah, thank you. Last time we had you on about a month or so ago when we talked about the Montana Gerontology Society uh, organization, the conference, and uh, we only had about 20, 25 minutes with you, and I said, well, that doesn't do justice to everything that you're working on, so let's have another show, and I'm glad we were able to do it today.
2: (laughs) Thank you, and you know, the timing did work out just right because June is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month, so... That was fortuitous, yeah. or
0: maybe on your part, very calculating. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Well, I'm glad <laughs> it works out. Well, Jeremy yeah, is sitting with me in the, in the in the studio, folks. He is the Community Relations Director at Highgate Senior Living, which is located right here in Bozeman at 2219 West Oak Street. 2219 West Oak Street. The telephone number is 587-5100, 587-5100. And Jeremy is also the chairman of the Bozeman Walk to End Alzheimer's. Good morning, Jeremy. Welcome back. Good morning, Jacobus. And so, Jeremy, you were with me also on that the, the Gerontology Society conference, um, and you were co-hosting here with Catherine McBee. And so I'm glad you're back here, and we're going to focus primarily on Alzheimer's today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Lynn, I... I Tell the listener a little bit about the, uh, the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, tell a little bit how it came about and what your work entails.
2: Well, Jacobus, that's a, um, that's a big question. But I'll start by saying that the Alzheimer's Association is the nation's leading provider, um, supporter, driver around all things related to Alzheimer's, but not just Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's and all related dementias. Um, so sometimes people, you know, don't quite understand, they, they think that if their loved one has dementia that there's not support that we can provide to them. Right. Um, so I want to right out of the gate let folks know that everything under the dementia umbrella um, is certainly something that we are invested in and can help folks with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also goes to a pretty common misconception or misunderstanding maybe about what is Alzheimer's and how it's different from dementia Uh, We get questions from people saying, well, my loved one has um, Alzheimer's, but they don't have dementia. So um, we're really quick to point out that it's not unlike um, maybe cancer, for instance, where there's a large umbrella um, disease condition, um, and under that large umbrella of cancer are numerous types of cancer.
0: Yeah, you're right. Same is
2: true for dementia. Mm -hmm. So if you picture sort of a large umbrella, everything under that dementia umbrella um, is, is Part of what we're working on, um, and under that dementia umbrella, Alzheimer's sits, and it's um, by all means the most prevalent. Um, Sixty to seventy percent of everything under that dementia umbrella um, is an Alzheimer's, um, and in large part to COVID, that has to do with the aging of our population. Age currently oh. is the greatest risk factor. Right. So briefly, what the Alzheimer's Association focuses on are three. Uh, primary areas, and one is care and support for families and individuals dealing with this disease. Uh, the other is through advocacy. We know that by helping our public officials, our elected officials, understand the magnitude of this epidemic, um, that they can help make decisions, um, policies that are going to um, serve well our communities, our country.
3: Right. And lastly,
2: our focus is around research. Yes. Our vision is a world without Alzheimer's and related dementias, um, but uh, you know, to, to get us to that point, we need to be investing time, effort, energy, dollars into research, clinical trials, all of the things that are going to help unravel this mystery that, um, that to, to date, eludes us. Yes. Alzheimer's of the top ten diseases that take people's lives. Alzheimer's is the only one that has no cure, no way to prevent it. And no way to to slow it down or treat it. Mm.
0: Now, for many people, they think when they forgot where they put their car keys, they start worrying right away. Oh my God, the time has come. I'm getting Alzheimer's. I'm becoming really forgetful. Mm -hmm. But help us out a little bit about some of the other disorders that uh, could be that are falling under the dementia umbrella besides Alzheimer's.
2: Um, Some of them will be very familiar to people. What other types of dementia are? Um, There's pugilistic dementia uh, from too many blows to the head. Um, It's related to Parkinson's disease.
0: Is that right? Wow. Mm -hmm. So So what what, what do you mean with alcoholism? What do you mean with alcoholism here?
2: Uh, There is a type of Alzheimer's, or I'm sorry, dementia, that is related to alcoholism. Really? And I think one of the primary messages that you're going to hear us talk about today and more and more in the future is, um, it, and it just makes so much sense when you stop and think about it, but the brain, the head is part of the body, right? And so sure. whatever it is that the body is taking in has the potential to impact the brain for the better or for the worse. So um, the alcoholism, you know, is very da- dangerous and, and damaging and, in fact, deadly, um, and it can, in fact, create um, a type of dementia called alcoholic dementia. Yeah. Um, and then there's um, another term for it. It's called the Wernicke Korsakoff syndrome. Um,
0: Wernicke Korsakoff, and,
2: and it's um, an encephalopathy um, and a psychosis. And again, it's as a result of alcohol. Okay. Or alcoholism. Caution, yeah. you know, caution you that it's not just a couple of drinks a day. It's <laughs> you know, or one a day. It's, you bet. Actually, we know this that a little bit of alcohol might actually um, be, be virtuous. Hmm. Um, so they're saying like, you know, one glass of red wine a day. Yes. Now, that's not a 24-ounce glass.
0: <laughs> right, but there right, right,
2: right. been there has been some evidence that, um, and compelling evidence that demonstrates that a little bit is good.
0: Because it, it opens up the blood vessels, kind of? It opens up the blood vessels and the blood flow?
2: Um, and there's resveratrol in it.
0: Oh, yeah, which, of course. Um,
2: yeah. It's been demonstrated, yeah, to have some benefits. Um, some of the other types of dementia, um, again, are related to other disease conditions. Um, so you heard me mention about Parkinson's, Huntington disease. Um, mm-hmm. You know increasingly there are concerns um, around um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy from uh, trauma to the head. Yes. Um, if you've been following that at all, you know, with the NFL, that's a, a growing area of concern. Not the NFL, football. Yeah. Um, but But moreover all of those things that cause trauma to the head, um, we're, we're learning more and more in the research around Alzheimer's and related dementias, all of the different causative things. Um, and probably the most significant thing that we know is that um, at least 35% of all Alzheimer's and dementias have the potential to be preventable. And that's a pretty big aha moment. But like everything related to good health, it's not... It's something that you kind of have to take the long view, right? You can't just today wake up and go, I'm going to prevent myself from getting, you know, cancer and in this day make a significant difference. But over a period of years, over the period of a lifetime, knowing that almost 35% of dementias could be prevented, Mm. that's pretty significant. It is. Related, again, to age being the single greatest risk factor for Alzheimer's, yes. looking at our rapidly aging population, um, you know, that, that being the reason why Alzheimer's and related dementias are just so significantly on the rise. And when I say it's the epidemic of our generation, that's not an overstatement. Uh, today across the country, well over 5 million people are living just with a type of Alzheimer's. That doesn't even roll in all of the different types of dementias, hmm. just with a type of Alzheimer's. Um, in Montana, that looks like about 20,000 people. But you know how the baby boom generation, as they've moved through every decade of their lives, how they basically, um, you know, kind of reframed that generation. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of the youngest elders that we've had in terms of their activities and their interests and their engagement. Um and as our baby boom generation is moving into their years of sixty five plus, yes, um, just by virtue of living longer, um, <laughs> nationwide, we're seeing this silver tsunami of Alzheimer's and related dementias.
0: Right. Oh wow, that's those are in- interesting facts. Um, it is truly a, a an issue which says over here that just in Montana alone, at least of what we know, twenty thousand people have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or Alzheimer-related disorder, and then another 50,000 family members are providing their care, many while also managing work and family. So I understand, Lynn, when you are talking about uh, caring support for families with Alzheimer's, this is a much broader issue than just the one who is suffering. Uh, the uh, Most people will try to take care of their loved one but then Jeremy where you come in with Highgate Senior Living you are uh, you, Highgate has really focused on helping people who cannot be taken care of by family to come to a facility where you are focused on helping people with
4: Alzheimer's. Yes, um in a little bit not that the families cannot take care of them, um we offer an alternative. So You know, at some point, uh, and I'm not a caregiver myself, but uh, through experience and stories, caregivers have shared, you know, maybe they want their loved one back Mm -hmm. as the spouse, or maybe they want to go back to being the daughter or the son. So, um, you know, we're an option. Um, It's not for everyone, but we just want to make sure that uh, we try to do what's best for the resident family member, and the family at large. What does that entail? Well, it entails really a face-to-face visit um, with any community out there, and then understanding the needs of their loved ones, because at least in my line of work, in the nine years that I go back, there's a difference of what somebody wants and what somebody actually needs. So mm-hmm. oftentimes, it's the families that want a certain thing. hmm and the resident that needs a certain mm-hmm. thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think just kind of um, figuring out priorities, next steps, and bring clarification to the family, just with the visit I think helps everyone. I see.
0: So I'm sure that the visit is usually done by both, um, obviously, the patient itself or the person who would be a prospective patient uh or or somebody's going to live at highgate and then there will be the ones that are the caretakers now most of the time jeremy if you rank somebody from zero chance of having alzheimer's to a hundred percent alzheimer's at what percentage level roughly do most people come to a facility
4: like highgate and say we need help you know that's a tough one to answer um a lot of our referrals are from clinicians, so oh. it's it's the medical professionals out there uh, that are making these referrals to where they deem the family's going to need some more assistance. Okay. And so we're really relying, and Lynn and I have been working together to raise awareness with our clinicians, yes. as well as the community of Bozeman at large. Uh-huh. So, I mean we're all in this together. I mean, the vision is a world without Alzheimer's. And the only way to do that is to do programs like this, um, celebrate the month about Alzheimer's and brain health and talking about, you know, opportunities like The Longest Day or The Walk to End Alzheimer's to increase the awareness. Mm-hmm. So we, as a whole, can help more people.
0: mm mm-hmm. um, you, Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So you have... You primarily have people come to Highgate because they are being told, the clinician gives you guys a call and says you need to sit down with them or you tell, or they tell the family members, go talk to somebody like Jeremy and and learn what are some of the possibilities to alleviate some of the stress on the family as a whole and to do what's best for the person who is suffering from Alzheimer's. So in a way, um, I, I assume thereby that somebody has already been dealing with Alzheimer's in a family and that the family is maybe stressed to the max with what they are able to do with having a life themselves and having work on the side and then still trying to take care of family um, so i assume that probably at least 30 40% of that individual is already into the Alzheimer's cycle is that fair to say
4: well i, I mean, can 30, tell you yeah i can tell you there's two criteria people see me something has happened and, or something is happening and they want to try to prevent something further. So I usually say crisis versus choice. And you would gather an educated guess that, um, somewhere in the illness, uh, the resident is, and it just really, it's really where everyone is as a whole. Um, our community works very closely with our families and our residents and our uh, and our clinicians as well. Mm-hmm. And we got to figure out what's you know what's going to be the best benefit for everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to continue talking about Alzheimer's this whole show. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Thanks for being with us today on the phone, Lynn Cabrera. Good morning, Lynn. To you. Uh, Lynn Cabrera. I see Lynn Cabrera, but it's Maloney Cabrera. So sorry about that.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm good sure you get
0: it. Good morning to you. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. You are in Billings. You are the Executive Director of the Alzheimer's uh, Association's Montana Chapter. Jeremy is the Activities Director, the Community Relations Director at Highgate Senior Living. That is right here on Bozeman. The telephone number for him in Bozeman is 587 Fifty one hundred five eight seven fifty one hundred. The topic today is Alzheimer's and uh, before we we tap into your personal story uh, Lynn I would like to invite our caller on the phone Good morning caller thanks for joining the program today what's your name how can we help you please
1: This is the voice crying in the wilderness yes. I brought this oh. up before yes, but you but are be a recent national public radio piece pointed out that the drinking of alcohol is strongly linked to getting cancer. The head of one big cancer organization said there's no contest. Alcohol may help heart health a bit. The link to cancer is much, much stronger. Lynn, do you have these stats that alcohol is significantly good for defeating Alzheimer's, or is that just another rumor floating around? Uh, Well,
2: hello, (laughs) and I'm glad you called, and um I'm glad that we have an opportunity to add some more um, light to this particular matter. We have currently nothing that defeats Alzheimer's or related dementia. My point about alcohol in moderation, specifically red wine in moderation, having some benefit for individuals who are trying to maintain brain health, again, it's very much in moderation and it doesn't do anything to impact the disease
0: once the disease is already underway. Oh, all right. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate yep. the call. Bye-bye. You know, the 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 thing that reminds me of Daniel's uh, call is when you be looking at medical doctors today, many doctors, let me say it this way, many doctors have become experts in a certain aspect. Even naturopathic physicians are kind of focused on their own little thing that they just enjoy they feel comfortable about they help their patients they 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 get a little bit more specific it's either about uh, detoxing or they are natural doctors in cancer therapies or they are dealing with hormone issues or aging in general they they like their own little niche so to say i find out with many medical doctors they become very specific so here you have a somebody who is a neurologist who may not care much about uh, heart health or or may not care much about aging or hormones in general they may just focus primarily on the endocrine system or neurology and so you have that sometimes the one doctor doesn't communicate or the one modality doesn't communicate with the other even though they all have the basic information and what i kind of feel with daniel's question makes sense the alzheimer's association or people with alzheimer's research say hey we look at resveratrol uh, in red wine, there are benefits. We know that from the grapes, um, good for the brain. So some people may say, "Yo, whoa, 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 too much sugar." Um, take the alcohol out, just drink uh, grape juice, and go that way. But other people, like you say, is also related to what Daniel says. It's definitely related to cancer. So there is all these conflicting reports, but all of them together make one beautiful puzzle, don't they?
2: Mhm. And I think that's a really important point, Jacobus. We we need to look at individuals. We need to look at this entire issue, and we need to look at the impact on individuals and take it in totality. You can't separate, you know, the brain from the body and expect to make sense of, you know, of of the wholeness of the picture. You have to look at them uh, in total.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Lynn, I I want to come back on uh, for a moment on something that. Uh, I mentioned about some statistics, and and I know you said Mm -hmm. you would like to elaborate on that a little bit. I made a comment (laughs) that said there are about over 20,000 people in Montana alone. These are some of the facts. We are talking today with you and Jeremy about the Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month, which is the month of June. Uh, It says over 20,000 people in Montana alone, another 50,000 family members are providing their care many while managing work and families. You would like to elaborate on that a little bit.
2: Oh, thank you, Jacobus. Um, Yeah, the statistic in Montana, uh, that 20,000 individuals thought to be living with Alzheimer's or related dementia, we're really uh, careful not to say that there are 20,000 individuals diagnosed with it, uh, because in fact, um, probably fewer than, I'm gonna say definitely fewer than half of that, have a working diagnosis um Many of them for whatever reason don't present to get an evaluation to get a diagnosis um, but sadly and very commonly many do present with these symptoms and these signs um, and don't end up with an experience where they walk away with a diagnosis. Um, and this kind of goes back to your point about you know people are sort of niche focused. Uh, so if you were to appear before you know a your regular primary care provider, and they don't, for whatever reason, have the training, the, the experience, the mm-hmm. comfort to make a qualified Alzheimer's or related dementia diagnosis, you can leave um, with some pretty um, inconclusive, uh, pretty unsatisfactory um, outcomes. And um, I, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead yep. and, and kind go. of use that as you a bet. place to jump from for our own story. Yes. Um, my, I've you know, as you know, I've been with the Alzheimer's Association now for twelve years. The first nine of those years, I was working in Southern California. Yeah. Um, with the Alzheimer's Association, prior to me joining the Alzheimer's Association, um, I couldn't honestly even tell you if I knew somebody with the disease. Yes. Um, of course, I did. I just didn't recognize it for what it was. But um, one of our talks that we give quite frequently and that we focus on is called um, Know the Ten Signs, Early Detection Matters. And my husband, who has um, had ill health uh, throughout his life from um, a family kidney disease, um, was very familiar with me talking about what are the ten signs, what is early um, warning signs of Alzheimer's or related dementia, and what is that that is just sort of normal aging. Yes. Uh, and we can go more into that, but some of sort of the hallmarks of um, early warning signs have to do with um, you know a difficult time retracing steps, um, word finding problems, um, a difficult time with short-term memory. Um, there, there's at least ten that we I've identified and that we share with folks um, for a variety of reasons. One is that um, if you are having some of those signs or symptoms, uh, to go in and have a qualified evaluation, In fact, it might not be Alzheimer's or a related dementia. It might be one of the reversible types of memory loss. It could be medication-related. Okay. It could be Mm -hmm. um, due to hydrocephalitis. It could Mm -hmm. be a vitamin issue. It could be an undiagnosed other infection. Um, So our contention is, if you're worried, go in. Get it checked out. If it's one of the things that can be addressed, address it. If it's Mm -hmm. not one of the things that can be addressed, Mm -hmm. um, then at least figure out what is going on. I say this to to people all the time, knowing what was happening for my husband didn't change what was happening for my husband, but it changed our ability to respond to it and to prepare for what's to come. So um, my husband's name is Nardo. He shares his story, and so that gives me permission to share his story. Okay. Um, Our contention is that we want people to learn from what's been our experience so that they don't have to replicate our experience. Yes. Um, So... He was saying to me, Jacobus, about four years ago, maybe, um, he's 55 now, so he, he was about 50, some five years ago, he was saying, you know, I you talk about these 10 warning signs, I've heard you give the talk, um, I'm kind of worried about myself. And by all means, you know, uh, that's a very young um, age to be worrying about what we know to be a, a um a considerably significant age-related issue, and so, mm-hmm. you know, I said, "Well, you know what? You've got a doctor's appointment coming up. Let's just put the question to them when we're there." Um And so, in fact, we did, and, and the the response was, "Oh, you're worried about your memory? Well, give me an example." Um And so, we you know, we gave a couple of examples. Of so he had a hard time
0: memorizing an example. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> sorry, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an oh, example. Boy. He didn't know. Oh, I don't remember an example. Uh, okay.
2: Yeah. I've heard a lot of Alzheimer's jokes. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. i that one. Yeah. Yeah. No, and in his case, um, he said, you know, like I'm having a hard time with words. And they said, oh, you know, you're probably just stressed. Well, we all have a lot of stress at work. So you, you know, do what you can to kind of de-stress. And just kind of explained it away. And so we went home thinking, okay, it was just stress. Uh, but over the year, he continued to express, not loudly, but he just kind of continued to express some concerns. I'll be honest and tell you, it still really wasn't on my radar. Yeah. Um, but by the next year, he said, you know what, I'm still having these worries. So we brought it up again to his provider, um, who again asked for examples. Now he had other examples. He said, I don't know, like, um, my, like my feet, um, like when I go to go downstairs, I really have a hard time going downstairs. And his provider said, oh, well, you've got neuropathy, um, you know, nerve damage in your feet from your lifelong kidney disease, and so that's what that's about. So we kind of left that appointment going, oh, well, that's what that's about. But it didn't feel affirming, and it didn't respond to his growing concern, and now my growing concern. So by the time year three rolls around, um, we kind of, you know, Coised, again, a series of questions, kind of got a series of placated or placating, you know, responses um, that just really dismissed our concerns. So we then kind of took it on ourselves to get him an evaluation, and we actually pressed for um, a full dementia evaluation. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so um, it's not, Jacobus, the the fullness of this evaluation and what I'm about to explain is not appropriate for everyone or necessary for everyone. What is appropriate and necessary is at least um, a a mini, it's called a mini-cog, a mini-cognition evaluation in a doctor's office. But you can tell from my story that that had not happened to this point. Correct. They, They had just looked at his age, looked at what maybe they knew about the disease and how to diagnose it, and really dismissed it. Now, I want to put a bookmark in that and say I don't fault providers for this. Um, in fact, the diagnostic criteria around Alzheimer's and related dementia uh, was first formulated about 35 years ago, when the wisdom at that time was you could really only definitively make adult- Alzheimer's or related dementia diagnosis on autopsy, correct?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So for a lot of providers, it's like, well, you know, I don't really feel confident making this diagnosis. And in fact, it can't be done until the person's deceased anyway. So unless they studied it, really studied it in in school, they probably... Didn't have much more insight to it than that, right? Um, in the last 15 years, the diagnostic criteria has been completely overhauled.
3: Okay. You can
2: still not make a hundred percent definitive diagnosis until autopsy, but you can make a very competent, very capable diagnosis um, that comes just short of that. Okay. And I, we contend that the providers need to understand that this is a responsibility they have. We increasingly are really wanting all providers, all levels of providers, not just um, physicians, but, you know, nurse practitioners, PAs, naturopaths,
4: cardiologists,
2: everyone along the spectrum. Because if you're serving particularly seniors and you're serving them for diabetes management, you're serving them for a cardiac issue, you're serving them for a hip replacement, Chances are that if they are over the age of 65, one in eight individuals over 65 have Alzheimer's or related dementia. I
3: see. If you're
2: serving people that are 85 plus, one in three. Wow. So the odds of the individual you're caring for or their spouse having Alzheimer's or related dementia is, is significant, and it impacts the coordination of management of other disease conditions.
0: Yes, so, yes.
2: Okay, go back to us now saying okay we need a competent evaluation and so what that involves is the very thorough um, is a complete physical assessment again what you're looking for is can you rule out other things that could be causing this cascade of symptoms so it's a complete physical assessment Um, it's also a a comprehensive lab panel Um, and again you're looking to rule out Up to and including, they they include syphilis testing in that very comprehensive lab panel because, again, they're trying to rule out anything else.
3: Yeah. Um, There's a
2: complete neuropsych evaluation that takes several hours. Wow. Um, In his case, it took four hours. Wow. Um, And it is looking, it's 10 different tests um, in his case, and it is looking to uh, sort of assess the various domains of the brain to identify what domains of the brain are still functioning well and which ones might be um, suffering from the disease. Um, Mm -hmm. And then uh, we had, when we first got those results back, actually, Jacobus, what happened was he did that exhaustive test. It felt miserable to him because he knew on some um, parts of the test he did not perform particularly well. And so I said, Gosh, I don't remember seeing the results from that, do you? And he said, No, I don't either. So we called over the phone. This was out of state that this happened. Over the phone, they said, Oh, yeah, here's your results. It was like a lab tech gave them this finding. Uh, you have, let's see, mild cognitive impairment. And it says here that you should do online brain training and come back and see us in two years.
0: In two years.
2: And that and, yeah, was troubling. A lot about that was troubling. <laughs> yeah. That's A, not how you deliver that diagnosis. Yeah. Uh, B, it's uh, completely incompetent. The online brain training that they recommended w- is actually been sued by the FDA for making claims of efficacy that oh, are Oh, my God. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, yes. so, you know, they were trying, but, <laughs> but it wasn't competent. Um, and then come back and see us in two years. Um, I really struggled with that um, because I said, you know what, if if I went to see like a dermatologist and I had a suspicious mole or skin lesion, they wouldn't look at it and go, huh, yeah, you should put some sunscreen on that and come back and see us in two years, right? Exactly. You would do something about it. Yes, yes, yes. So we went in to see the neurologist, and the neurologist was lovely, and said, yep, it says mild cognitive impairment." You should do online brain training and come back and see us in two years. And I said, I really struggle with this, and here's why. Um, and she said, I have to be honest and tell you, mild cognitive impairment is really not on our radar. Oh. Now, this is a neurologist. So if it's not on their radar, whose radar is it on? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and so we said, okay, well, thank you. And we scheduled to see another neurologist that we um, was recommended to us. Uh, and this provider was, you know, equally lovely. And she said, well, you know, maybe you do have like an early Alzheimer's. So we'll go ahead and just start you on Aricept, which is a type of medication yeah. that is used to treat not Alzheimer's, but to treat um, essentially the symptoms around Alzheimer's. It doesn't stop the disease condition. It just gives you a bit of a cognitive lift for a, um, for a short period period of time, um, maybe a year. And she said, you know what? We'll start you on airstep and we'll see if that helps. So you would probably do what we did. We said, huh, thank you. That doesn't yes. make us feel really competent.
3: No. So
2: we will get back to you on that. Meantime, my husband was feeling um, what he thought maybe was depression. So he went in and had an evaluation by a psychologist, or I'm sorry, a psychiatrist, Now, this provider was in the same medical practice, had access to everything we had done to date, and said, yes, in fact, you do have depression, and we should treat you for depression. And one of the early warning signs is, um, you know, mood changes, um, you know, withdrawal from social activities, things that look and feel like depression. Yes. So they had us go see um, a... um, A provider who could prescribe to him some medication for this "quote unquote" depression. Yes, yes. And again, I said, "Oh, you know, this is not in isolation a depression. This is a larger issue."
3: And uh, they were going to start
2: him on. (laughs) Well, my concern here, Jacobus, is not everyone is going. Not everyone is going to come from a place of. You know what? This still doesn't sound right. Um, particularly when you're dealing with something of this magnitude, you really just want an answer. And we, in our society, are also very prone to, and we want medication, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, and so here's the diagnosis. Here's the medication. Have a nice life, kind of. Yes. Um And so you know that's why we caution people know what it is you're dealing with before you try to to address it with you know a vial of pills. Uh, so again, we said no, thank you to the depression medication. Uh, and we found ourselves another highly recommended dementia specialist. Mm -hmm. And before she even talked to us, it was abundantly clear. She had read what now were reams of information, all the test findings, all the conversations that we'd had, everything. Wow. And she sat down in front of us, and she said, you do not have Alzheimer's. And she said, but something is going on, and we're going to figure out what it is. She said, I am so thankful that you did not take the Aricept to my husband. Wow. She said that would have made Mm. your condition irrevocably worse.
0: Wow. You
2: would not have been able to come back from it. Mm. She said, I am so glad you did not take the medication prescribed for depression. There is one family of meds that will, in fact, be helpful. It's um, an SSRI, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Mm -hmm. There is only one class it is recommended and in fact I will encourage you to take it but not yet because again we don't know precisely what we're dealing with. Had you taken any other sort of antidepressant it too would have made things irrevocably worse. So not only could you know weren't we getting competent information we we could have ended up really mismanaging his care in a way that we could Mm -hmm. not have come back Mm -hmm. from. So I was sharing this with um, folks at a talk in Great Falls, and it was a large group of people, Benefits Hospital. And I said, You know, we could have stopped with the give it two years. We could have stopped with the, you know, it's probably Alzheimer's, take care of We could have stopped with the antidepressant, and we would have been stuck in that place.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: we wouldn't be really addressing what is at issue or yeah. preparing for what is to come.
0: Totally true.
2: And mm-hmm. At the end of the talk, there were people, Jacobus, lined up to say, our story is your story. Wow. And we stopped with Eric Sepp, and we're still in that place, and it did make it worse. We stopped with depression, and he's been home on the couch for the last three years.
0: Oh, boy. So, yeah,
2: and you know, so our story is one very small story in a sea of this type of thing.
0: Yeah. Wow. That is... Uh... You know, in my work, I I talk to quite a few people and I have a nutrition center and people come in and talk. And if I hear the stories about how quickly people have been put on medications and just feel worse after that and just come in and say, is there anything that we can try that uh, may be better in this case or that we can start feeling better because we feel so bad. You see how quickly people being put on medication for the wrong reasons. And there's lots of medication out there, and maybe there is something that could work, but you cannot just give somebody something because you kind of lick your finger and stick it in the wind and say, let's see what we can give you. (laughs) Folks, stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we do have a caller on hold who has a question for us or a comment. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining. What's your name? How can we help you? This is Clint. Hey, Clint, good morning to you.
1: Uh, And good morning to your guests. Thanks,
0: Clint. Thanks, Clint.
1: There's two things that I want to talk about a little bit. Maybe Lynn can answer this. Now, my brother has Alzheimer's. He remembers everything in the past, but he can't keep things in the future, okay? Yeah. He's smoked pot now and then. And I want to know, there's two things. There's one other thing I want to talk about, too. I want to know if there's been any studies about smoking pot, marijuana, or whatever in these drugs. Has it hurt the brain as far as memory? That's the number one question. And I'm going to hang up when I get done here.
0: <laughs> That'll be today.
1: Okay, and the number two question, uh, this is a statement about doctors. I got a boy that's been doctoring for acid reflux, okay? Well, yeah. the doctor didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He doesn't have acid reflux. He has got a hernia by the stomach, and it's pushed out into the abdomen. And it's been that way for two or three years, okay? And they keep feeding him this damn effect. okay? Now, he's a veteran. He went to Fort Harrison to see what they said. They diagnosed him and found out, and they told him what was wrong with him. But here's the catch. They're going to do the work all right, but my son makes a lot of money every year, okay? Yeah. Do you know that my son has to pay the VA for doing this operation?
0: No, I didn't know that.
1: That's a fact. And so when you make too much money like our boy does, that has happened to him. Now, where in the hell is Mr. Trump and somebody say something about these people? I don't care if you're a multimillionaire or whoever you are. If you serve this country, you risk your life for this country, your veterans' medical should all be free to him. And it's not. And I hope Mr. Kester's out there and some of the Democrats are listening to what I have to say.
0: Well, if I can jump on that, I think personally the the VA is not paying your dinner every night. Uh, The VA is not doing your groceries. The VA doesn't pay for you going to the movies. The VA doesn't pay for you to put gas in your tank. I understand what you're saying, if it is about quality of life. I think, indeed, that the VA should take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. And I've mentioned it over here before. I I personally feel, Clint, if you make a lot of money and you can afford it, why don't you just do it and get it done? Maybe you move to the front of the line. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But, But for me to just say the VA has to pay everything... If, if we're looking at the situation we're in in this country, that is not your son's fault. I mean, he has done his service, but I think there are certain instances that when you have the money and you could pay for it, why not pay for it? Why burden the VA while other people have no money and don't get the treatment? They have to wait a year and a half before they get a treatment because there are so many people waiting for the free service. I think that there is something wrong with the VA, and part of that is that that. What I'm just describing. Well,
1: I'm going to disagree with you here, and here's why. I'm a military veteran also. And when I go, or my son goes, and the government asks them to risk their lives. I agree. Okay. Sure. For this nation, <clears throat> this nation said that they would take care of him if something happened to him uh, physically. Now, the nation had better live up to it. I don't care if you're, like I said, I can pay for my own, too. But that isn't the point. The government asked you and said that they would take care of you. And I do believe that the government should live up to what they said, because you and I risk our lives for this nation, for this freedom. And I do think that this government should take care of my son and not cost him. All right. that, That there to me.
4: Sounds like you have a whole nother program coming up. (laughs)
0: That's true. Clint, I tell you that I have heard you for many, many years, and I always listen when you speak because you have a lot of good information. And I have to say, in this case, I hear your story. I hear what you say. I just have my doubts. I've been thinking a lot about this uh, when the issue comes up, and I feel there could be a give and take from both sides. Uh, Maybe there are certain things the VA can do for him and there's maybe something that your son can contribute as as far as finances is concerned. I know there are many veterans who are literally standing with a sign at the road and say, we'll do anything for money, uh, for a little help. Uh, Your son is not in that position. If any of those people would need help and the VA is there to help him because of the service to the country and your son has been able to use the military to move up in career with hard work, and with good training, and he has the finances, then I say, good for him. I mean, look at all the capabilities he has. He doesn't have cancer. He has high heel hernia. So, you know, if he can afford it, let him pay for it and and move on.
1: Uh, No, I don't think so. And here's why. This nation right here, how many trillion dollars do we give to other nations and not take care of our own? And if you serve and you dedicate your life to freedom, You risk your life for freedom. I don't give a damn if you're 50 billion, if you're rich as Bill Gates. When the government says they're going to take care of you, they should take care of you. Well, I think
0: that Jeremy's right. There's another show on the way. (laughs) We'll do that. Clint, I appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for the call.
1: Would you address the marijuana thing? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's right. We almost forgot. (laughs) Thank you, Clint. Bye. (laughs) Go ahead, Clint.
2: That's right. There is a question in there. That was a Thank question. Thank you for calling. Yeah, there was a question.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, so you, you kind of had two things going on there. Uh, one was, I believe, Clint, um, was it your brother that you mentioned? Yeah, he hung who up. He great, hung up.
0: Yes, his brother. Yeah, his brother great has access
2: to, mm-hmm, Great access to his long-term memory, uh, compromised short-term memory, which, in fact, is one of the hallmarks of a more classical classic presentation of Alzheimer's, um, and that is because uh, it affects, first, your short-term memory. Uh, it doesn't, until later stages of the disease, affect the long-term memory, uh, which is one of the things that uh, can be confusing to folks. They're like, gosh, you know, my mom can tell me what she had for breakfast 50 years ago, but she can't tell me what she had for breakfast today. Um, and that's a, that's a very classic, as I said, presentation of that. Um, it's important to recognize that... Um, You know, there's there's a lot of right ways to more effectively interact with an individual living with Alzheimer's or related dementia. Uh, And I'm so glad, Jacobus, that you're sharing our website with folks. They can go to just ALZ.org. It's uh, so fast, so easy. And on our website, there is information about, you know, how do you tell the difference between the various types of dementia? How do you know how to, you know, care for a loved one in the various stages of the disease? How do you understand what their experience is so that you can most effectively interact with them? And we have classes that we teach just around communication because you can imagine if somebody has compromised um, memory or functioning, um, you know, interacting with them is more complicated. But the onus of successful interactions is really on us. They can't change what their experience is, but we can change how we respond to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. And,
2: Jeremy um, is actually one of our community presenters and is available to, uh, to share any number of our community presentations on the warning signs, on effective communication techniques, how to understand their behaviors and respond to them, um, any number of things. Um, on the marijuana question, just briefly, um, I want to make sure that you, you all are clear. I'm not um, a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not. Um, I'm just an individual invested in this effort. Um, so I wanted to look it up online as we were talking, um, and some folks, um, are finding that medical marijuana is a, is a potentially, uh, effective technique in terms of helping people who are living with Alzheimer's or dementia as maybe they're having some problems behaviors, but that's a different, that's a different conversation altogether, and what I would, um, would encourage people maybe to call our helpline about or talk to their own providers about. Um, and I'll come back to our helpline because I want to make sure we leave yeah. folks with that tool. Yeah,
3: yeah, but yeah. Um,
2: we know this about marijuana use, uh, that it reduces blood flow in all areas of the brain. Um, and so as you can imagine, any part of your body that's having compromised blood flow is not going to thrive. Uh, So an article that I have in front of me, it says the hippocampus is the brain region associated with learning memory. It's the first region affected by Alzheimer's, and because marijuana impacts the blood flow, um, it also um, can be a contributing factor. Uh, It's like sleep apnea is a contributing factor. If folks aren't getting oxygen-rich blood to the brain because they're not sleeping and breathing, yeah. At night, uh, that is a contributing factor. So, they're increasingly we're aware that pretty much everything has the potential to contribute.
0: Mm. Uh, I I agree with you. Uh, I think there has been some good research done, or there's ongoing research on the effects of CBD, which is a different part of the uh, the, the the marijuana plant or the mm-hmm. uh, agricultural hemp. I should say, uh, CBD mm-hmm. has different effects than the marijuana than the uh, THC. Mm-hmm. So we should, uh, as the research continues, and there is great research done already, I would recommend probably for Clint's brother to look into the CBD oil because it doesn't affect his memory. It doesn't affect his, uh, uh, in a negative way, or let's say it in a. It, it's nourishing. It's nourishing for this system that we call the endocannabinoid system, which is an internal endogenous endo Uh, system in our body that we're born with and that is uh, uh, being helped tremendously by using actual CBD and uh, we are seeing good results with selling the CBD in the store with people are having less pain less migraines um, more better memory actually uh, sleep better at night Uh, pain goes away low back pain neck pain uh, so there is, there is something about the CBD itself that could be uh, very beneficial. Uh, from the text line, somebody texted, by the way, that's two six six seven six one seven. Clint, uh, this is a response from one of the listeners. He says, the VA should only pay for medical service that are directly related to the service. It's not a lifetime welfare program. Uh, I'm just saying the story. Uh, so there's something to say about it, but neither here nor there. Uh, Jeremy, she just talks to you. Uh, Lynn just mentioned you, your community outreach, you are involved in different things. Tell us something, let the listeners already know what is happening on the longest day at the longest day and what is happening on September 16th.
4: Well, we have a couple dates coming up. Lynn and I are actively trying to get a, a date for June 12th for folks actually interested in the walk to end Alzheimer's. Okay. Um, Lynn, since I have you on the line, give me the date for The Longest Day, please.
2: The Longest Day is June 22nd. It is summer solstice, thus The Longest Day. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, and just briefly on that, before Jeremy tells you all the wonderful things that are happening in um, Boston on that day, The Longest Day is an annual opportunity that the Alzheimer's Association established to help really shine a light on this disease, on the individuals living with this disease and their families. Um, It's called The Longest Day, um, in a symbolic way because when folks are living with this disease or caring for a family member with this disease, sort of every day has the capacity, the potential to be the longest day of the year. Uh so it helps us raise money and raise awareness, uh, again to further, you know, the entirety of our mission.
0: Okay.
4: Thank you, Lynn. And then we have the walked into Alzheimer's. Uh again, Jacobus you had mentioned Sunday, September sixteenth at one PM is when we're gonna start. But what I think Lynn was trying to share is that um, in the community of Bozeman, when dementia education or present, presentations come up, my name is usually somehow brought up. Well, for those folks that always thought I was a part of the Alzheimer's Association, it's just recently that I've joined uh, the board of directors. Okay. So, um, And Lynn, thank you for the ask on that. And we just recently had a retreat. But um, I am a branch uh, for the Alzheimer's Association as a community presenter uh, for folks that want that local information, knowledge, resources, and everything really that the Alzheimer's Association has to offer. Um, I'm the beacon for that. And I'm just as excited now on the board as before when I was not. So, um We also do, uh, I facilitate what's called a virtual dementia tour. Um, A lot of folks have gone through this, but I give people uh, dementia for a short period of time. And um, although this isn't a program that's directly related to the Alzheimer's Association, uh, they have supported the efforts uh, behind certain sponsorships uh, in different cities throughout the state. And we appreciate that. But uh, just another resource for folks
0: Mm -hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's called the Virtual Dementia Tour, and that you do that at Highgate Senior Living, or you do that uh, in a community-based uh, facility? How do you do that? What does that mean?
4: You know, most recently, I was invited out to Manhattan, uh, and actually, for Churchill retirement, Yeah, and I actually did some dementia training over there, and okay. um, I facilitate this program also at Highgate as well, uh, for the MSU nursing students, yeah. but really um it 's really a call to action uh, from these folks that have reached out in the community we 'll do the training wherever mm-hmm.
0: when you talk about training, what exactly does that mean you 're talking about training uh, people who may be in the early stages of Alzheimer 's or dementia. you talk about uh, you talk to the caregivers the people in the who help those with dementia. Or you are talking about staff at senior places? Uh, What exactly do you mean here? You know, I think we're
4: actually talking about a a broad group of people. Um, I really liked what Lynn said. Um, I am a person invested in this effort. And so I am not qualified at all to diagnose anybody with any sort Mm -hmm. of illness. Mm -hmm. And again, I rely on my clinicians for that. What I do is I have dedicated uh, my time and what I do for a living to make sure people understand um, the illness, how it progresses, uh, the course of it, and what we can do. And I offer other options. So I'm I'm kind of that branch. Uh, Again, I'm in the advocate side
0: of things. I think what I like to do is when we come back, uh, highlight some of the issues that that is actually happening in the brain, that people have a better understanding, what exactly are we talking about? Uh, we hear words like plaque and amyloids and, and stuff. Maybe I can explain some about that, unless any of you would like to explain that. Uh, who Are you comfortable explaining that, Jeremy?
4: You know, if my wife is on the line, I think she could explain uh, my brain function the best. <laughs> but um, maybe <laughs> I'll leave that up to Lynn, since we just had uh, uh, Dr. Fargo uh, over here recently because... He gave a great presentation uh, that explained all of that. Oh, great!
0: Do you want to tackle that when we come back, uh, Lynn? Sure. Okay. You and I can do that together. All right. All right. I'll get my all notes. Right. I'll get my notes because <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> I I think. Uh, every, well, <laughs> thanks. I think that every time we're dealing with an issue with an health issue, there is always a cause. Uh, there is uh, certain triggers, and I always say there is a either when a cell is not working it's either a deficiency or a toxicity deficiency means Mm -hmm. we're not getting enough of what we need and toxicity means we get too much of what we don't need and for many people it is a uh, a combination of things and so yes there is changes happening we can blame it all on aging but there are also people who age well who do not have alzheimer's or dementia so we want to figure this out we'll be right back I do want to talk a little bit about Alzheimer's and the actual disease, dementia, Alzheimer's, the forgetfulness, the dealing of the deterioration of the brain, and I um, I, I love to do that with the three of us. If you, if you you allow me to 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 do this at this point now, somebody's calling me. So I don't know. This could be Jeremy's wife. Uh, <laughs> he, w- be awesome. he would like her. He would like her to call. But I don't know uh, who it is. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program today. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Hi,
5: Jacobus, It's Mayor.
0: How are you? Hey, Mayor. Good morning to you.
5: I have a question. Uh, my brother was just here from North Dakota, and. He's been on opioids, I think, for quite some time. He had a shoulder replacement in January. He's got some back and neck issues. And um, I believe he's been on them for, you know, I don't know how many years, but probably two or three for sure. And I noticed in the course of conversation, well, I saw him last October, and there wasn't anything showed up. But this time, um, for example, we, you know, I brought up, the Kilauea volcano, and we talked about that for a little bit. And then about five hours later, he looks at me and he goes, how about that Kilauea volcano, and start talking like we had never talked about it before. Ah. And I'm like, okay. And then a few days later, they were just getting ready to go, and I had some new information about the volcano, so I was sharing that. And he goes, well, what's the Kilauea? And it's about the volcano, and then he goes, Oh, I just didn't know the name of it.
3: Oh. Well, he's the
5: one that had brought it up and had mentioned it, the name of the volcano, several times, and then a few days later, he's like, well, I didn't know the name of it. And that scared the heck out of me.
0: Yeah, of course.
5: And and I saw some other signs, like we went to Chico, um, you know, which we went through Living Center when we got back. He seemed to be confused about where Bozeman was, and relate, he said, is Chico closer to Bozeman and Livingston? And I'm like, well, we were just there, and no. Um, you know, it was just things like that.
0: Aye, yeah, yeah, And,
5: uh, yeah, and I talked to his wife about it. She, you know, of course, she blamed the opioids, even though I believe he's on a quite a bit less than he used to be on. Yes. Um but, you know, it seems to me... And then he would call me by her name and not realize that he was calling me Beth instead of Mayor. Yeah. Um, so I just thought I'd run that by your guest. You know, I was afraid to bring anything up to him because um, he gets pretty defensive when it comes to the medication he's on. So I'm just looking for some solution or some places to go where I could find out
0: more information hmm. does any of you have a thought uh, lynn you have dealt with uh, some of these uh, rigmarounds and uh, running around to what do you call it the, the doctor's offices and trying to get answers <laughs> uh you have any uh, suggestions here
2: well I'm, I'm thankful that you called and i want to definitely affirm your concern. Um, I'm not, of course, in a position to diagnose, and it sounds like there might be some extenuating circumstances regarding his overall health, And um, but I think you're completely right to be worried. One of the very first things I would invite you to do, and all of your listeners, Jacobus, yeah. is to be aware of our 800 number. Okay. We have a helpline. Um, people can call it any time of the day or night, so it's open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We have licensed social workers, so masters-prepared social workers there, as well as care consultants who can talk you through your concerns, look in the community where you live, help oh. you identify what is available for diagnostic care, what is available for care, or um, you know resources for families. Um, I think a lot of what you pointed out is a very astute in terms of your observations. Um, Again, I think a a competent evaluation would be my next
0: step. Okay. Now, Mayor, does your brother take, you said he's very careful about talking about his medications. Is he also doing other medications uh, besides the opioids?
5: Um, From what I understand, they have him on a statin drug. Um, His cholesterol was like over 400. They put him on a statin drug. Now, he's changed his eating patterns quite remarkably he's lost like 40 some pounds his wife has lost over 30 they went on the paleo diet and so they don't eat they're pretty much gluten-free uh sugar-free they eat chicken and fish and lots of vegetables so i think his diet is on the right track yeah but um and they said the next time he goes in which i think is in a month or so for his cholesterol if it's It got down to 130, which I think is too low, but they said they would take him off that statin drug if it was as good now as it was, you know, a few months ago, which I think it will be. And then I don't know if he's on any other medications other than just the opioids and the statin.
0: All right. What I want to say about that, uh, Mayor, and and you may have heard me say this before, but I'll state it again. About 30 years ago, maybe about, yeah, 30 years ago, if you had a cholesterol that was around 300, you were just fine. Back in the mid 90s, maybe 94, 95, all of a sudden that number dropped to about 250. And a lot of people were being put on statin drugs. And then about three or four years later, they brought it down to about 235. Then it became 215. And then it became 200. And so right. what happens is, is if the body is making, so 95% of the cholesterol is made by our own body. Only 5% comes from diet. And so it is not per se what we eat, it is what we eat, what it does in our system. The, uh, we, our body runs on, on vitamins, minerals, a little bit of sugar and proteins. Then when you look at the brain, The brain is getting energy from sugar, but the brain needs fat. And one of the things that they have seen is that people who go on statin drugs have, uh, there is fat removal out of the bloodstream, and it is also fat removal from the brain. And so there is an immediate correlation that I have seen in people and I have read about people that were tested on statin drugs whose cholesterol would dip way below 200, like your brother is 130, uh, Mm -hmm. that is directly related to the statin drugs. We need fat in the brain. And that is why people are saying, number one, cholesterol is not a disease. Cholesterol is something that we make from our own liver. And why would the liver make something that is bad for us? That is a function... To cholesterol. And when you have the HDL, which is very important for the brain, very important for the heart, very important for the immune system, if you have that somewhere hovering between 35 and 45, you are in a danger zone. If you can get your HDL above 60, you are entering the safe zone. And if you are getting your HDL over 84, 85, you're just never gonna die. Uh, so when they did test on people, who had a cholesterol back and was published in 2004? If you do, uh, if you, they did a test on people who had cholesterol between uh, uh, 300 and 600 uh, MER, and they found out that these people had no cancer, no heart disease, no infections, no colds, no sniffles, nothing. They were always healthy and they were always doing fine. And when they asked, they said, Well, how about your parents and your grandparents? they could not find any medical records from these people in any doctor's office, in any hospital, because they were never sick, they'd simply died of old age. You find them somewhere sitting on a bench smoking a cigar and they keeled over and they were dead and at 95 or so. So there was not, So they asked these people, would you mind participating in a study because we feel that if we lower cholesterol to about 225, you would be in much better shape. And so they, these people volunteered, hundreds and hundreds of people said, okay, we'll participate. And they dropped their cholesterol from about four five hundred to about 225. In that time period, people started developing cancer, shortness of breath, they had an increase in infections. When they do, when they did cut themselves, it would take them weeks to recover. And over time, they started seeing that people were developing cancers. And so that they said, whoa, this is not good. This is not good because these people never had an issue. Uh, sadly enough, that that study was not published to the point where the medical community started to support it and say, uh-uh, we got to get people off the statin drugs. I have seen people who had a cholesterol of 170 total after being on statin drugs because they had some kind of cardio uh, episode. The doctors right away put them on blood thinners and on statin drugs, and these people have died. I know two for sure they have died or by Alzheimer's, of Alzheimer's, and so I I highly recommend that if he talks to the doctor, he gets off the statin drugs because um, I, if you take fish oil, fish oil does more to the blood, for the blood, than than uh, than statin drugs or coumadin will ever do. I would I would uh, if you look at what cholesterol does for us to fight the LDL cholesterol, we call it the bad cholesterol. But it really has a very important function because when we have an injury, when we're fighting an infection or when we're suffering from some kind of inflammation, the body produces LDL to uh, repair it. And so when people work out in the gym and they're always sore and the muscles hurt and it isn't that you'll find out that the LDL is elevated. If people have an infection, they have a cold or a flu, test them, their LDL will be elevated. If somebody breaks their neck, breaks their leg, breaks their back, they uh, an arm, their LDL will be elevated because the body sends out the LDL to start repairing blood vessels and tissues. Uh, the one thing that we do want to look out for is the triglycerides because that shows us the amount of sugar that we consume that is not absorbed by the, by the regular cells but is stored in the fat cells that float in the bloodstream. So if the triglycerides are over 85, you actually have an increased risk for diabetes, prediabetes, hypoglycemia. So what does the medical community do? They say the range of a healthy triglycerides is anywhere between 30 and 200 so there are a lot of people who are way over 85 and who are all dealing with hypoglycemia and blood sugar issues, which means they are feeding the brain sugar, which means they are damaging the brain cells from not absorbing fat, and thereby people start developing memory issues and Alzheimer's. So in my opinion, when you mentioned the statin drugs, I felt I had to use a couple minutes to just explain this.
5: Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. Um... Yeah, I will um, pass that on to his wife because, like I said, he's pretty um, well. I almost I don't want to say volatile, but very defensive. You know, they they unfortunately trust everything the medical doctors will that, tell them. That's so their that choice. If they if they go to a a memory guy and they tell him to put on put him on that drug that your guest was talking about. They would just go ahead and do that. Yeah, you know, okay. without and that's the scary part to me too, is that they'll just go along with whatever these medical doctors tell them and it's like your guest had said in the previous hour how you know, that would have screwed her husband up for life, you know. Yes.
0: yes.
2: And so um yeah, call, and, may I
0: Yeah, go at Lynn. May
2: may I just quickly I um I wanna make sure that um that we that we pause just long enough, um, in in for in your caller's instance, I I don't feel like we yet know what is going on for him. Yeah. Um. And and I would be really reluctant to just point at a particular medication that he's on and and call it that. A little bit of what I've gleaned from uh, the comments that she shared is that it sounds like um, he's had maybe a, a problem maybe with his maybe he's been a little heavier than he should be, maybe he's been a little less active than he should be. And all of these are those lifestyle things that can contribute to brain unwellness. Um and so m- merely removing the statin doesn't change maybe years of of overall brain body unwellness. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, but he he um, she did say that he had changed his diet. He and his wife exactly. have both gone to a more uh, protein and fat diet, more fresh vegetables. They both have lost exactly. weight, and so so those are all
2: yeah. Those are all really good things that they've done. But doing those in the last six months, doing those in the last one year, doesn't undo everything that preceded it. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. So
2: what what we're talking about, and and what hopefully we'll be able to get to a little bit more in this next hour is what are those modifiable risk factors that are within our control to manage, and and we need to start yesterday <laughs> doing yeah. that. So I'm delighted that um, he's they both have made those lifestyle changes now to their diet, exercise, but the damage um, done to his heart, um, you know, probably one of the reasons that the provider ever put him on statin, never recommended a change in diet and exercise, um, that damage isn't undone merely by six months of exercise. And does that make sense?
3: Right. Um, and right. once
2: yeah. the damage occurs in the brain from Alzheimer's or related dementia, we don't yet have a way to turn that around. We, we can't undo that damage. Um, so there's kind of two things going on here. One is certainly his heart health and his wellness. But the other is if, in fact, what he has are some of the earlier stages of Alzheimer's, You would want to know that so that if there was a medication appropriate for him, not to stop the disease, not to slow the disease, but appropriate to help him with some of his symptoms, some of what he's experiencing, you would want to do that. Now, Aricept, in my husband's case, wasn't a good choice because Aricept is used to treat Alzheimer's, not treat, um, to, to help people with Alzheimer's. Uh, Aricept is not something appropriate to treat people with frontotemporal dementia, which is what my husband has, which again is why it's important to know what it is you're dealing with so you can deal with it effectively. I hear in your caller concern about her brother's mood, um, and um, I'll say some agitation, maybe some um, anxiety, which would be all very logical and typical. Um, The same is true of my husband's diagnosis. He, in fact, with frontotemporal dementia, experiences some anxiety experiences some aggression and medication for that helped him and that's the serotonin reuptake inhibitor it helped even out his serotonin release so he is more even in his mood and that is a life enhancer for both of us
5: yeah he's not he's not he does have anxiety according to his son um, mm-hmm. but as far as his being I didn't mean volatile like he's You know, explosive, I didn't see any of that. I saw a very passive, actually a very tired person wanted to
0: sleep a
5: lot, and they blame that on the opioids. No, they 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 should blame
0: it on the statins, I'm sorry to say. I have seen too many people on statin drugs whose cholesterol dropped down. The cholesterol, uh, Lynn, Mayor Jeremy, cholesterol is made by the liver, and cholesterol converts into hormones. And the very first hormone that cholesterol makes is called pregnenolone. And pregnenolone converts to the left and to the right. To the the right, it moves into progesterone. To the left, it moves into DHEA. The DHEA is the youth hormone, and the DHEA converts again into testosterone and estrogens. So people who have no production of pregnenolone and almost no production left of DHEA, how can they create the energy to do something during the day because their natural hormone production goes down. When we have low hormones, we have low energy. And so that is usually the link that I have seen through my readings that that causes people to just fatigue when they are taking statin drugs. So I would highly recommend, especially with with his work, uh, with his uh, change in diet and lifestyle, that he is going to talk to his physician, if he is interested, to lower the amount of statin drugs or to say, I want to go off for the next three or four months. I want to manage this myself and I want to see where I end up. But it is all about ratios between the HDL, the LDL and the triglycerides. That I recommend they keep an eye on, not just go by a total number. It all comes down to the ratio between the three
4: parts. Jeremy, you want to say something? Well, Jacobus, I think what's common in Lynn's case and also Mayor's case is that um, something's going on with their loved one, and it's and it's different. Yeah. And the words that kind of come to my mind are early detection and whatever it is, you know, whether it's statin or dementia or, or whatever fill in the blank. Uh, Mayor, I think, you know, you're coming from a place of love uh, for your brother and his well-being. And I think talking and asking more questions to his primary care uh, doc isn't going to hurt anyone. And I really think this is kind of the beginning of your story, very similar to Lynn's. So I think the Mm -hmm. takeaway here is that uh, we don't know what the answer is, yet that's the question everybody wants to know. What's wrong?
5: Right, well, I appreciate uh, it, guys. I've got to go out into work here, but um thanks ma'am. I, I might stop by the shop sometime and talk with you a little more.
0: okay, we'll do thanks, okay, thanks thank you for that man. okay, uh, bye-bye
5: uh,
0: Caller, good morning, your name, please, how can we help you?
5: Hey, good morning, Jacobus. This is Lori. how are you?
0: Laurie, I'm doing well, thank you. Good morning.
5: um I am interested in people talking about the possibility of epigenetics ah uh. um I'm feeling like people have the attitude that um, once the damage is done, it's irreversible. And um, and maybe I'm confused or I'm not sure, but what I've come across with the epigenetics is they're talking about the fact that there can be healing, that um, it is possible to, to change it a little bit. And I would like them to kind of talk about that if they know anything
2: about it. Thank okay. you.
0: Yeah, good point. Thanks, Lori.
2: You know, um, I'm glad you called, and I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm sorry, I can't responsibly respond to that. What I can tell you is that the Alzheimer's Association is behind the government of China and the U.S. government. We're the third largest funder of Alzheimer's research. Um, And so we have an entire department, a med-sci team, that works to convene researchers from throughout the world so you can be assured that this is one of you know, hundreds of things they're looking at. Um, what I would ask you to do would be to call our helpline. That's 800-272-3900. You can put this and any question to them, and they can get you responsible information and add you to a mailing list so you can stay in touch with. With what we know and where it's happening and how all of that converges together,
0: I think that's a, that's a great thing. Uh, we're going to take a break here. The telephone number, the 24/7 helpline for the Alzheimer's organization is 800-272-3900. 272-3900. Call them with any questions. We're going to take a short break, folks. We'll be right back. Good morning, caller. What is your name? How can we help you, please? Joke.
6: you know you and I, we don't keep secrets to the grave. No. If, it, if we can help somebody, we help them. Age, remember, as you know, is a number. Yes. Okay. So people, like organizations, make you old when you reach a certain age. You qualify for benefits for this. That that is what makes you old. But here's the thing: on Alzheimer's, my sister, seventeen trips, brings back the money to New Jersey. They call her the ambassador of Alzheimer's. And her and I disagree on many, many things. She took care of my mother. They do the Liberty Park walk. Five, six, seven thousand people show up. Fantastic. But I'm telling you that the answer is natural exercises, not weights. Work is a chemical. Exercise is a chemical that the brain produces. Then the diet. What happened to cod liver oil? What happened to the, in fact, when I started with the diets, I had over 4 million people on them and nobody's died. There was only a fish oil. Then the omega thing came in. But now we've got omega 3, 6, and 9, plus the zinc, plus the vitamin E, and, of course, the most important, vitamin C. Yeah. That's the answer to Alzheimer's. You cannot relax. The less you move, the stiffer you get. Exercise. I can tell you all the nursing homes, I spend 15 minutes on a Sunday, and within a year, people that couldn't raise their arms, people that they put their walkers away, people get excited. Oh, where's your walker? And they're off it. It's 15 minutes a day. You just do natural, natural exercises. Natural you don't put your father and mother in a nursing home. You take the time like they took the time to raise you. Change your diapers. But today, everybody thinks because you're old, you can't do things. I just went back to work again.
0: I know you did, Joe.
6: Yeah, uh, 16 more days, I'll be 79. It's a number. I still run. I still do everything. The only thing I put on the side was the boxing training. I trained 8,600 fighters. I had 28 champs in the world. Now, how did I afford that? With a three-wheel motorcycle, I built 18 other companies except electric. That I used to sub out. Yeah. So there's no such thing as standing still. Okay? Because your life is made out of time. Everybody thinks they're going to have 10 hours sleep, 8 hours sleep. The doctors, everything is medication. No, natural exercise and the proper vitamins on top of your food. So it goes right into your bloodstream. Yes. That's what keeps the brain, dementia, and all that crap away. Yeah. And that's it. That's and I have nothing. I have nothing more to say, because you, <laughs> you, you know, the people in this area don't know how lucky that they got a vitamin store and a person like you that explains things. Oh, you know, thanks, Joe. These the, these things didn't exist by 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 accident. I met Bernard McFadden, the first American nutritionist, in 1948. Wow. I was working for my uncle uh, putting radiators in. I was, I was as strong as a bull then. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was going on nine years old. But anyway. The thing is, it starts at home. My father and mother, you had to eat slow, never rush. And they used to always say to me, your friends can wait, but you just chew your food. (laughs) You
3: know what I'm saying? Today they
6: grab a piece of pizza, all these energy drinks, Red Bull, destroys you. Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, all this crap. They're drugs. And you get hooked on them. That's why these kids look sick. They can't even do a day's work. Mm. Fifteen-year-old kids, they got pot bellies already. And it ain't from drinking beer. It's from the crap that they eat. You eat McDonald's, you'll be a McDonald's. You eat a Wendy's, you'll be a Wendy. You know what I'm saying to you? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Take the
6: time and cook. Cook, not out of a can.
0: And that's it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Joe. (laughs) Always insightful, my friend. Okay, my good friend.
4: Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Jacobus, what a great spokesman for the walk to end Alzheimer's. There so, you go. <laughs> about natural exercise.
0: <laughs> That's a good point.
2: I want to I want to commend you, Joe. Um, you are a very perfect example um, of what we say. Alzheimer's is not normal aging. Just by virtue of getting older, we don't necessarily, um, you know, get Alzheimer's, and it is a lifestyle that we're thinking is going to help be at least a very important part of the answer to this disease. Um, So much so that the Alzheimer's Association is just beginning to launch the first ever study of its kind in the United States. It's called the POINTER, the U.S. POINTER trial. Uh, It was based on a similar study that was done in Finland and successful that pointed at modifiable lifestyle factors. Mm -hmm. those that are within our control to influence, and it is a lifestyle. It is a lifelong endeavor. The U.S. Pointer Study um, is a two-year trial. We're doing it in six major markets across the country um, so that we have a very full um, cohort of various ethnicities and ages and other disease conditions. Um, It's going to be done in conjunction with the YMCA. It's funded entirely by the Alzheimer's Association, made possible only by donor dollars. And so the Walk and Alzheimer's, you know, money from that, money from the longest day, all of that goes to help us provide care and support, public policy and mm-hmm. fuel projects like the US Pointer Study. So we'll be looking at physical exercise in all of this in conjunction, all of this working together. Physical exercise, nutrition, cognitive and social stimulation and improvement of all other health conditions. I see. We know that all of those working together have some real promise.
0: So, what does U.S. pointer mean? What what, you, what are you talking? U.S. what? U.S. pointer? Oh, US Lynn, pointer. Lynn, I
4: got to explain that one. Okay. So it's, <laughs> oh. it's it's called the finger study in all the other countries. Oh. And U.S. pointer study is that what it is? Well, it's finger it's study like in it. other countries, but finger uh, study. if it was the U.S. finger study. Folks might get a little confused, so uh, (laughs) they changed it to Pointer, but but all in all, we still want to give the finger uh, to Alzheimer's as the disease. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jeremy.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. The the, the Pointer Study, Jacobus, stands for, you know those acronyms, Protect Brain Health Through Lifestyle Intervention to Reduce Risk, so it's... um, and it is based on successful studies done in Finland, the trick with, and, and as Jeremy pointed out, throughout the, throughout the world. Um, the problem is those are largely homogenous populations. And so we're looking at it in the United States because we do want the cohort to include the fullness of what makes up our population.
4: Yes. All right. Yeah, so you get a personal trainer. They come take you to exercise. Yeah. They do your Isn't diet. that amazing? So okay. it's exactly what joe was talking about so and i'm Mm -hmm. sure he can relate if he was a boxer boxing trainer 8600 people absolutely so they're actually doing that study and uh, the correlation so uh we just have to kind of wait for those results but Mm -hmm. i think we all know with a great diet and Mm -hmm. exercise of really where that's going to end
0: and and Mm -hmm. i understand all that uh what i uh what I, I, I want to read a little bit here on a, on a piece of uh, information that I have about Alzheimer's. And I it see. says over here, um, Alzheimer's disease, if those words don't give you a shiver, you should. Unlike most other diseases that twist and damage our bodies, Alzheimer's twists and damages our thoughts, memories, emotions, judgment, and personality. Things that combine to create our sense of self. When this disease strikes families, caregivers often sadly relate that they lose the person they love long before their loved one finally passes on. It's no surprise that a recent survey showed that Americans over age fifty-five fear Alzheimer's more than diabetes, heart disease, and even cancer. But though this yeah. disease is fearsome and deadly, we are not powerless to fight back. The more we learn about this disease develops in the first uh, the more we learn about how this disease develops in the first place, the better we become at prevention and at greater, greatly slowing down the progression of this illness. And someday we will know how to cure it. Alzheimer's disease is a terminal and incurable brain disease and not merely a consequence of aging. It is not a, not a consequence of aging. It happens in the older population, but it's not the consequence of it. It is the seventh most common cause of death in the United States. And if we added in the number of people with diseases that are made worse by Alzheimer's, It would become the fourth leading cause of death. The number of people with this disease continues to grow. 14 million are expected to have Alzheimer's by the year 2050. Uh, The brain of a person with Alzheimer's disease is progressively destroyed by the formation of plaques caused by deposits of a protein called beta amyloid and tangles caused by a protein called tau, T-A-U, In a healthy person, beta amyloid is broken down and removed from the brain. But in the person with Alzheimer's disease, the beta amyloid pieces accumulate and harden into plaques, while the tau protein interferes with the transfer of nutrients and other important substances between cells. Free radical activity, so free radicals are unstoppable compounds that can damage cells and our own DNA, So free radical activity is also higher in the brains of people with Alzheimer's disease. What continues to be investigated is what factors cause these physical changes in the first place. We know that inflammation and oxidative damage play a role, as does diet, body weight, activity levels, past head injury, family history, presence of other diseases... Certain contaminants, especially aluminum, an even amount or an even amount of social connections. The plaques and tangles associated with Alzheimer's disease form in the brain in a predictable pattern. The first areas they are found in are the section of the brain associated with memory and learning. The early stages of Alzheimer's is characterized by forgetfulness, communication problems, and changes in mood and behavior. Judgment is impaired, and sometimes people with Alzheimer's say rude things they would never have said aloud prior to their illness. This alone can cause problems between couples, families, and friends. As the disease progresses, memory and thinking continue to decline. The ability to carry out daily tasks and self-care become more and more limited. In the very last stages of Alzheimer's disease, the ability to communicate verbally and care for oneself is completely lost. Many people with Alzheimer's succumb to pneumonia as they can no longer walk about, choke easy, and as they are fed, and spend much time immobile in bed. So this was just a, a quick rundown about to let people know the issues with Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Anything to add to that, Lynn or Jeremy?
2: Uh, I I will thank you so much for that. Um, yeah. I think it uh, succinctly laid it out for folks in a way that is you know, it's definitely understandable. Um, I I will mention a, a common misconception is that aluminum is a contributing concern, um, and for years people have been concerned about pots and pans and aluminum foil, and um, and in fact that's been thoroughly debunked. Okay, um, and on our website at ALC.org, dot org, people can find more information.
0: Okay, that is good, and i I remember indeed hearing that from the assistant of Doctor Fargo before he came uh, to uh, Bozeman. <laughs> he said yeah. uh, there is no uh, there is no information available on aluminum that is uh, that sticks, and so uh, yeah. we yeah, so that is that's good to know. Yeah. We yeah. far
2: would rather people focus on making some really healthy choices around exercise and diet and social engagement and cognitive engagement. Uh, we'd, we'd far rather, you know, but we're, we're sort of given to quick fixes, aren't we?
3: Yes. And if we
2: thought we could just eliminate aluminum from our lives and have it handled, um, that would be easier, but it would be inaccurate.
4: Yeah, good point.
0: Jeremy, yes?
4: I just wanted to keep the individuality present first and foremost. Yeah. I think a lot of times with any illness, folks are just focused on that and they mm-hmm. tend to forget the individual especially with this mm-hmm. illness everything affects everyone differently mm-hmm. so i i just want to make sure that the person mm-hmm. is kept front and center right yeah absolutely person i understand
2: first. thank you jeremy
4: well that is true
0: mm-hmm. we're just we're all individuals i totally agree with you one thing that i would like to talk about is something that i've observed Uh, Simply what has happened in the last 40, 50 years, because when we talk about Alzheimer's today, we're not talking about the young people who are not exercising or drink soda pop. I mean, Joe was right. uh, But we're talking right now about the current population that is over 50. And and like your husband, Lynn, who started at about 51, 52, started having these symptoms. Uh, and, and Mare, uh, his, his brother is not that old. So you start seeing certain signs and symptoms that worry you. But in general, we talk about as people get older, the risks of Alzheimer's are increasing. So I, I do feel that we need to go back to when these people were a little bit younger, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and things that happened. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. About 50 years ago, the, the government of this country went way the, by the suggestion of a uh, PhD, who, his name is Ansel Keys, who was making the, uh, the assumption that uh, saturated fats were bad for us. They were bad for us cardiovascular, and they suggested that we go on a very low-fat, no-fat diet, get off the red meat, be careful with all that stuff, low on the meat, uh, increase grains, increase breads, increase the carbohydrates, that was much better for us, and low on the fat. And... What happened is we started working with margarine. We started using um, um, canola oil, safflower, sesame oil, uh, all these nuts and seed oils, which were high in omega-6s. And what we discovered as the the, 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 the decades progressed, that high omega-6s in relationship to omega-3s cause inflammation in the body. And they have seen a direct correlation with inflammation in the brain. Now, what has happened is when we went on a low-fat, no-fat diet, low-protein diet, we have seen an increase in Alzheimer's, we have seen an increase in diabetes, we've seen an increase in obesity, we have seen an increase in inflammation. And because most doctors cannot really explain why somebody is inflamed, They simply give it an expensive name that is usually the name of the organ with the word itis behind it. So you have pancreatitis, colitis, dermatitis, hepatitis, sinusitis, arthritis. You have all these itises, and that sounds really impressive. But the point is, they don't understand what it comes from because the directions were low fat, no fat, um, low on the protein, high on the carbohydrates and see where it takes us. We have therefore seen a tremendous increase in fast food places, and uh, we see the health of this nation decline. Now, in the last four to five years, we have seen a reversal. More and more research has come out that says that saturated fats, as a matter of fact, are protective for the brain as well as for the heart, for the cardiovascular system. And the uh, the research is coming out, but when you are talking like Steve is talking earlier about the whole institution of western medicine is very uh, it's big with the pharmaceutical industry the industry the the, the the insurance industry the medical schools to change the books on that to change the philosophy is taking a lot of time and so we, you can make decisions the whole reason why i started to show almost 18 years ago is simply to show you that there are things you can do today starting today that may actually improve the quality of your life if you have to wait for an institution to change it can take many many years lots of discussion and at the end of the at the end the end of the road the message may still be confusing so make your own changes when you can and see how that is going to change your life so i see that With the high processed carbohydrate diets, not enough fat, low protein, low fat, especially eggs were vilified, omega-3, coconut oil, uh, butter-saturated fats. These are all very nutritious for the body, and I simply recommend people try it. Don't be afraid of it. Now, you will have to let certain foods go. Too much fat with too many carbohydrates can still cause inflammation. So you need to do a little studying on it. But don't be afraid of fat. And I feel that since the fat has been taken out, I see generation generationally an increase in dementia-related disorders. Uh, Lynn and I don't know if and uh, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I don't know if you have personally read about it. If this is something that the Alzheimer's.org is working on and say, you know, we need to look at these new developments, these new studies that are coming out that show that fat is actually essential for the brain. Have you heard anything about it or are you working with any of that? Jacobus, the the point
2: you keep making that I definitely think is uh, something we want to underscore is whole lifetime wellness. Um, It's important to recognize that Alzheimer's and related dementias, as a disease condition that is, you know, being researched, being, you know, that people are aware of, it's a pretty young disease in terms of our awareness and our effort on it. Um, The association itself, the Alzheimer's Association, isn't even 40 years old. Um, And so we as a country, as as a nation and as a world, have not made the investments in Alzheimer's and related dementias. Um, in the same way that we have researching other disease conditions. So that's a long way of saying we're right now looking at everything. These next few years are going to prove to be the most profoundly impactful, I think, in terms of identifying, you know, how does it start? How do we stop it? How do we intervene? One of the points that I didn't make earlier that I wanted to was, you know, one of the things we know is by the time now that the disease is actually creating enough havoc in the brain that it's appearing in how someone is acting, interacting, things they're saying. Yeah. It's actually been in the brain for as long as 15 to 20 years. It has only just reached a critical enough mass that it is um, that it has caused enough damage
3: Yes, to impact
2: our interactions with others. Yes. If we knew today that Alzheimer's were starting in our brain, and we had today things that we could do to slow it, Stop it we would want to be doing those things right absolutely well so we're not there yet in terms of the conventional medical approach but we should live under the assumption that we are all at risk for Alzheimer's and related dementias and we should all stay away from the processed food aisles at the grocery (laughs) we should shop the exterior of the store and eat a variety of foods eat foods that are heart-healthy because we know what is good for the heart is good for the head.
0: Well, absolutely. I, I agree with you. And and those are common sense things. And somehow, uh, there are many people not listening to a show like this because I do grocery shopping and I see what's in other people's shopping carts. So uh, <laughs> it, it Don't is. Don't judge. No, 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 no! I'm not, not judging. No, I'm not judging. Uh, but you're absolutely right. And, no, I'm kidding. You know, I tell people too. when You look at Bob Hope. He he drank alcohol till the day he died. Ended up being 100. Didn't have dementia or Alzheimer's. Uh, George uh, George Burns <laughs> had uh, smoked cigars and had alcohol and and girlfriends on the side almost till the day he died. <laughs> didn't look that it affected him. Whatever he was doing. So we're all different individuals. But it's it's something that. That we need to keep an eye on if you start experiencing, and as you mentioned, blows to the head, head injuries, if there is something genetically going on in your family, uh, if you're, um, um, you know, a lot of stress, uh, you change your diet. Many people under stress simply use diet to self medicate their feeling. And their stress level, not per se, they they don't per se eat to nourish the cells in the body. So that over time, it's not about what you do on a party one night, it is what you do on a daily basis, annual basis, and for decades. Like you say, this has been in the body for 20 years probably, but it started somewhere, and some people are more sensitive to some of the chemicals that we find in food, and I mean chemicals are everywhere, so it is not synthetic chemicals. I mean simply the structure of food, the allergies that people have that they don't pay attention to, the amount of medications people take to get rid of their symptoms, whatever the symptoms are, and the combination of all that really can wreak havoc.
2: Your point, too, about how some people can, you know, live lives that don't seem particularly, you know, health-conscious health, health conscious, um, and that they don't ever have Alzheimer's or dementia,
3: yeah. we don't
2: really know that. Most likely, if they live long enough, the disease condition is present in their brain, um, but maybe it never developed to that critical mass that impacted their interactions, right?
3: Yes. You know, I think
2: isn't there an expression about more people die with prostate cancer than from prostate cancer? And so, you know, given what we know about Alzheimer's and related dementias, the odds of it being present in people's brains are good, just potentially it isn't of that critical mass at those late ages.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, Good point. Uh, I have a text line uh, message. It says, good morning. Have you or either guests seen the quote unquote study released this year on aluminum found in the brains of people diagnosed with autism? Uh, Flu shots have aluminum in them, which is scary. And she said there is a huge push on the senior community to get flu shots.
4: Jeremy, you're awfully quiet. Well, I That's have my not, co-host I I have not read hour. that study, but I'm, I'm just trying to step back and trying to be uh, one of your listeners. And a story kind of comes to my mind about perception. And there's a little third grade boy. He's in a class. His name is Johnny. And the teacher asks, everybody bring out a white sheet of paper and there's an outline of a duck holding an umbrella. And the teacher says, everyone grab a crayon We're going to start coloring the duck. So she's walking around the classroom, looks at Johnny's paper, and she starts kind of shaking her head in a very negative way. And Johnny goes, what's wrong? And the teacher says, Johnny, you have a bright red crayon. And he's like, so? She goes, Johnny, when was the last time you saw a bright red duck? So he continues to color. He doesn't even look up. And he says, when was the last time you saw a duck holding an umbrella? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so as a listener, and I think when we're talking about all these things like the medical community and sharing stories, that we have a great neuroscience team here in Bozeman. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Primary care docs, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, CNAs, specialists, and the reality of this program and what we're talking about is not is to talk about the broad range of Alzheimer's. And my understanding, and I've spent enough time with Lynn, when we present or we do a show like this, number one, we're trying to identify uh, those folks who actually need the help and assistance, and connect them with the proper resources. Yes. And this is where. I know we've talked about CBD and THC and all these other three letter but alz.org is probably going to be <laughs> the most important here. Oh, and then cool. number 2, what about those folks who actually want to do something? How can how can I join the movement or help with the cause? So, if you're a person out there who actually wants to be invested in this effort,
3: mm-hmm.
4: they need to reach out to one of us. Um you know, because if they support the vision with The World Without Alzheimer's, we truly want them on our team. So I know there's three types of listeners out there, folks who watch what happened. You have the second who wonder what happened. We want the folks who make stuff happen. So if, if you can get them to call <laughs> in, we'll sign them up. All right. Good and point. And lastly, and- we're going to get in touch with Joe. And if you want to enjoy some natural exercise, <laughs> walk to end Alzheimer's Sunday, September 16th. 1 p.m. at Bozeman Pond. At the Bozeman Pond, and then the
0: longest day will be June 22nd, which is a Friday. Where's that going to be held? Is that is that statewide or is that uh, locally?
4: Well, it's actually nationwide. If correct Nation. me if I'm wrong, Lynn. No, that's
0: right.
2: That's right.
4: But it is it,
0: nationwide.
4: It, it, it's it's a special effort, and certain people are going to be to certain things. Well, where's it going to be day. held? What is it? Uh, well, me different pers- things happening. Me personally, I'm going to be an advocate all day from sunrise to sundown and i'm going to encourage people to call me and and they're going to sign up for a time slot i'm going to go to their office or workplace and we're going to sign them up we're going to get them on a team to start mm-hmm. the walk to end alzheimer's so that's what my team and i are going to be doing and i'm just looking for folks again to join the cause all right
2: so the longest day is a little different jeremy i love what you're doing thank you the Longest Day is a little different, COVID than an, uh, an event that people might be familiar with. It's kind of called a DIY, a do-it-yourself fundraising opportunity.
3: Yeah. So
2: people get to decide what it is they love to do um, or what it is that their loved one enjoys doing, and they do it in their honor or their memory. So we have folks that are doing bowling fundraisers. We have folks that are doing lemonade dance, oh, barbecues. See. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Dances,
2: exercise, um, just a tribute to, um, to their loved ones. So we have a 13 year old girl whose grandfather died or has Alzheimer's but is still with us. Sorry. Uh, he loved bicycling. So she got a bicycle donated and she's selling, um, opportunity tickets for it so that she'll have a drawing and they'll be a winner of it. So that's how she's honoring her grandfather and raising money and awareness. People can All do whatever right. they want. All
3: right. And
2: they can learn more at 800-272-3900 or at ALZ.org.
0: Okay, great. uh, ALZ.org. All right. uh, Mm -hmm. From the text line, where do we go for help? My husband, 74, has had two memory tests five hours long in the last three years and told his memory is above average. Yet in our everyday life, our family is seriously concerned. He has trouble putting thoughts together when calling for information. He doesn't remember what was discussed the day before in regards to routine activities. He has trouble staying focused when driving, easily frustrated. He has a heart problem, diabetes, and is being treated by an internist here in Bozeman. Only offer was to treat with a memory drug. That's the end of the uh, text. Text her back. Text that person
2: back <laughs> and send them 800 800- two seven two three nine zero zero. All right. There are people right now standing by at our helpline. There's no cost. There's no judgment. It's entirely confidential. Yeah. They will answer your questions. They will think through with you other aspects of your concern and they will they will be able to give you specific, valid, valuable help right mm, now.
0: Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And that and for good.
2: as long as you need for as yeah. many years as you need as many times as you need there's never a limit.
0: Okay. That's great. That is uh that's important. So to the caller, I'm going to send it right now, uh, 800-272-3900. 800-272-3900 24/7 and as long as you need them. So that is uh that's important information. My goodness, what a what a very frustrating frustrating when you start seeing that deterioration in somebody close to you and you go try to get help and you just don't get help and uh, to come back to your personal story lynn with your husband the he did not have alzheimer's he they want to put him on an alzheimer medication because of the way he feels he is just getting frustrated with it all so they say he's probably depressed so they want to put him on an antidepressant and that is how the average American over 65 ends up with eight medications a day. So a person like Joe, who doesn't take any medication at the age of 79, he is, somebody else has taken his eight. And so that's how we spread it around. So too many people are taking way too many medications for number one, for the wrong reason, if it is the wrong reason, and they just keep compounding. And there is an effect. I mean, obviously people know, that they go to the doctor to get a medication to have some effect. So if one of them has effect, eight have a lot of effect, and they can contraindicate each other. And I simply come back to what we're really talking about: is what can you start today, without worry, in your diet, your lifestyle, maybe some supplementation, uh, exercising, uh, mind games, you know, memory games, uh, socializing. Uh, having a social life, go to the senior center, uh, socialize, participate in the activities, um, learn more what is out there. What kind of other activities are you doing at Highgate, uh, Jeremy?
4: Well, again, it, it just goes with the individual. So uh, I've actually had people want to do Sudoku, but if they've never done it before, it's it's more frustrating. Yes, so it is. so <laughs> stay with stay with your interests. You know keep your livelihood
0: fun and games yeah all right well so the highgate senior living number is 587 5100 and then the helpline uh, the 24 7 helpline is 800 272 3900 uh jeremy thanks for being here today
4: thank you for having
0: me yeah we'll do it again absolutely all right folks and uh, lynn maloney uh, cabrera thank you so much for three hours spending with us from billings I appreciate all your time. I wish you all the best. And I I really hope that we can do this again.
2: Thank you, Jacobus. It's been a pleasure. And Jeremy, thank you so much.
4: Lynn, we'll see you on the 12th.
0: All right, folks. We'll Uh be back next week, Saturday. See you then.